If you have your Bibles, I want to draw your attention to Hebrews chapter 4. Please open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4 as we continue our study through the letter to the Hebrews. We, this morning, will be looking at the first 11 verses of Hebrews chapter 4. As you're finding that passage of Scripture, um, that last song is, is a chance for us as a body of believers to sing together the truth of the gospel in the midst of life that is sometimes so very difficult, and to remind each other, I think I may have even said this last week, but we need to, we need to understand when we sing corporately, this is one of the ways in which God allows the body of believers to minister to one another. As you hear your brothers and sisters sing where our hope is found in the midst of the most difficult times of this life, God uses that to minister to our souls, to know where some of our brothers and sisters are right now in the midst of trials of various kinds, and to be able to collectively point our, our gaze once again to the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we need the weekly gathering of the saints, the word proclaimed, the songs sung, all the different elements of the service are not just fillers. They're very important. You could call that the regulative principle of worship. We're doing what we see the believers in scriptures to be about, and we want to, to testify that this isn't a, a man-centered, like we just think this is a good way to do things. No, we, we see what God has ordained his people to be about on the Lord's day, and we seek to do that, and we, we experience the blessings of that. So now with the, the word opened, please follow along as I read. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has said, he has somewhere spoken on the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter it because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. 
Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, just jumping right into chapter 4 of this letter to the Hebrews, if you have not been following along in our series, that probably is very disorienting. There's a lot happening there. Hard to make sense of what's going on. As I was studying this passage this week, this, this really is leaping into some, some deep waters. Uh, but just to kind of take a step back where we were, you could actually see chapter 3, verse 7, through chapter 4, verse 11 as really one unit. We looked last week at just a few verses in chapter 3, but we've been looking at... Um, the author writing to a people and using specific examples from the Old Testament to teach, to lay down as an example. And so what's been referred to and quoted from again and again is Psalm 95, written by David many years after the, uh, Ill, uh, the, the wilderness wandering of the Israelites, but he's referring back to that experience. He's writing to a people that were brought into the promised land, and he is, he's writing this psalm to them. Today, if you hear the Lord's voice, do not harden your hearts. And what we see many, many years later, the author of this letter is quoting Psalm 95 that's referring back to the Israelites in the wilderness, and the author's referring back to the people in David's time, And we're told that it's the Holy Spirit that is speaking now as he's quoting Psalm 95. And so what happened then is important for us to read and think hard about. And as we see in these two chapters, three and four, they're laid down for us as warnings. Do not be like them. And we're told in chapter three, that they disobeyed God. They did not enter into God's rest because of unbelief. And as you kind of start looking at stories like we see in like Numbers chapters 13 and 14, where Moses sends out spies to go into the land of Canaan. This is before they've entered in to go check out the land and bring back a report. When we read how the people of Israel responded to those reports, the grumbling, the complaining, the wanting to raise up a whole new leader. All of that is for us today to read, to think, and to be warned that they were, they were on the road to the promised land, and yet they did not enter into it. We are to spend time thinking about that. And there are some similarities and there are some differences, but the similarities are are apparent as we also are living this life, I mentioned last week, as sojourners, exiles, on our way to the heavenly kingdom, the heavenly Jerusalem. We are also on this pilgrimage, so to speak. And so there's much application as we're working through these two chapters to to not be like, to take note of what Israel did And don't fall prey to that hardening of heart, that unbelief. And what we were 
What we saw in chapter 3, I just want to draw your attention to verses 12 and 13 again. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And so you could, you could kind of say or paraphrase that first chunk of this larger section is a focus on our hearts and the deceitfulness of sin and how without this mutual encouragement together, if that's not happening in our lives, we are prone to wander and prone to see this progression of this evil, unbelieving heart leading to falling away from the living God. And what we see is that's a hardened heart. We don't want that to happen to anyone here who professes Christ as king. Some may ask, well, what I also see in this section is if we are true partakers of Christ, as I believe I am, why do I need to take heed and be so vigilant when you have said that I'm eternally secure and, and can't lose my standing in Christ. And that is true from the pulpit, from our, our website, the DNA of this church is standing on the doctrines of grace. And one of those doctrines is the perseverance of the saints. We believe that he who began a good work in us, Philippians 1.6, is faithful to bring it all the way to completion upon the day of Jesus Christ. God is the one who saves and he keeps all the way through until Christ comes again. We, our anchor is in God holding us secure, not us holding ourselves secure. That being said, I think the question assumes by people that the New Testament says something that it doesn't actually say. That question of, well, if I'm secure, why do I need to be vigilant? It assumes that God's way for his chosen people ones, his people, to actually make it to that eternal rest is somehow without vigilance and watchfulness and self-assessment and diligent uses of his means of grace. And what we see in Hebrews 3 and 4 is that that's just simply not the case. We are to take care, be alert, exhort one another every day, realizing the deceitfulness of sin our proneness to wander, how easily we can become deceived into thinking that everything's good while our heart is actually being hardened towards the Lord. We need one another. We need God's means of grace while we're on this pilgrimage. And so what I want to submit to you as we look at these first 11 verses, we, we may have to circle back because there's so much here, but what I think the author of Hebrews is doing in these first 11 verses of chapter 4, is he's using the idea of future rest to encourage present endurance. We need to be encouraged to endure, to persevere. And what we were, what we were reminded of, sorry, in um, adult Sunday school was that anything good that comes from us, thank you, Ted Sally, we testify that it is God who does it. The Holy Spirit doing a work in us produces good fruit. And so when we talk about this endurance, even when we talk about this exhorting, it can quickly 
look like this is kind of a man-centered, you do it all, we do it all, in and of our own strength. Not at all. We are completely and wholly dependent upon God to accomplish any of this, to persevere, to endure. All of it is us pleading and pressing into him to empower us by the Holy Spirit to actually walk that out. And so, in all of this, our gaze is continually pointed upward because we know we can't do it just navel-gazing at one another. It's not going to work. And so the author of Hebrews is using, in this passage, the idea of a future rest to encourage present endurance. Thinking of a verse in chapter 3, again, verse 14 says this, "For For we have come to share in Christ... If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Hold our original confidence firm to the end. That is what we're we're after here. I want to see everyone who is professing Christ as their Lord and Savior to hold to your original confidence firm to the end. In the language that we've seen quoted here of Psalm 95, it is still, this is encouraging, it is still today. If you have walked into the sanctuary today in a bad spot where you feel like you have experienced that hardening of heart, you are far from fellowship with with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, it is still today as far as God's promise is concerned. And this indicates both opportunity and responsibility. Opportunity is that we still live, if you have breath in your lungs, this is the day of God's grace to you. That you would be sitting in this room today hearing God's word go forth and hearing the truth that it is still today that sinners can be reconciled to God. Through Christ Jesus our Lord, there is a way for all who are far off, who have a hardened heart, who are dead in their trespasses and sins, to experience eternal life and have your sins washed clean. And it's found in Christ, in Christ alone. And there's responsibility on our part to not despise or turn away from this great privilege. So let me draw your attention to verse 1 of our passage. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Would that not be the worst case scenario? That you have professed out of your mouth and when the day of the Lord comes, you are actually not found to be his. Let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. There is no attitude more dangerous for the church than of unconcern and complacency when it comes to the Christian faith. Can there be, is there assurance of salvation? Of course there is. Yes and amen. But that assurance of salvation, if it is true biblical faith that is grounded and rooted in Christ and Christ alone, should not lead to 
to unconcern about the way in which you live or complacency about dealing with sin in your life. If anything, assurance of salvation actually it amplifies the reality that you are walking in, a, you're seeking to walk in a manner that pleases the one who has redeemed you from the pit of hell. It actually, it actually does the opposite for those who, who are, are stand, stand firm and fast upon Christ as their steady anchor. It actually leads to fruit that, as the Bible would describe it, good fruit. Biblical faith put on display actually leads to a life that wants to mortify, put to death sin, and then put on the things of God and walk in a, in a way that, that would please him and that is a light to others. A lot of times we, we fall prey to this unhealthy view of, of salvation where you've got your ticket Praise God, my sins have been washed away. I now am on this fast track to the new heavens and the new earth and all will be well. And it's kind of like you just check out and you just go along your way. You kind of continue to live according to your ways and do whatever you see fit and right instead of an allegiance to the one who is both Lord over your life and Savior. That radically changes and alters everything in your life if Christ is actually king of your life. He is king, regardless if you have bowed the knee or not. But if he is your Lord and Savior, your allegiance, your allegiance in everything is to the king. And so your whole life should look radically different. It shouldn't be one of unconcern or complacency, but of utmost concern. Every minute of the day, you are engaged in, in living as part of his kingdom and his ways. The Apostle Paul warned the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 with reference to the same background. So he's looking at the Israelites in the wilderness, same background of the judgment on the Israelites, and he says this in verse 12, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. It is a warning that is followed by the important assurance that God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So if we're listening to the Apostle Paul, what I see in this passage that, that I just read is an alertness one who understands how quickly we can fall, how quickly this, this un evil, unbelieving, leading to a falling away, hardening of heart can actually transpire in a believer's life. Take heed lest he fall. We're alert. And then I love that it reminds us once again, God is the one who is faithful. We are faithless. We are the ones who are unfaithful in so many ways in our lives. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that we may endure. That those should be, those should be so much a part of our Christian vocabulary. Endurance, perseverance. We are striving 
If that's not part of your vocabulary when you talk about this life in Christ, I pray that that would change. Not just part of your vocabulary, but, but actually walking it out. It's, it's actually part of the way in which you wake up in the morning and realize, okay, this is a battleground today. Where am I going to go to, to prepare, to be built up, to fill my tank All of those questions need to be answered as we go out or as we interact with our spouse in the morning, our children in the morning, children with your parents in the morning, as you sit with a teacher or a coworker or a boss in every sphere of life, that we would wake up and be ready and alert. A sense of God's glory and majesty, his purity and holiness combined with our proneness to fall into sin should produce in us a watchfulness that leads to the fear that I think is mentioned here. Mentioned here in our verse. Fear which, so far from being opposed to the life of faith, is actually essential for the preservation of our faith. So here again in verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. I don't want you to run away from that thinking that this is like a really, Joel, you're talking about a really unhealthy fear that should not actually be part of the Christian life. This fear is given to us by the Holy Spirit, written in this letter to the Hebrews, and it's, it's a fear that is a healthy right fear for believers to have. Think about this. The principle of fear is actually implanted in our constitution, in our makeup. Without our natural life, without it, sorry, our natural life could not be preserved. There is a right kind of fear to have as you're entering into a situation that could actually lead to much harm in your life. I'm talking in the physical realm. It's good to have a a certain level of fear, I think that that can translate into what I believe the author is is trying to um, encourage the saints to be mindful of. We look around and we should have this type of alert fear that sin is deceitful, that Satan is, is, is always on the prowl, like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, like, wake up. This is, this is a battle. This is a fight. And we are not called to do this alone. The let us is so important here again. He doesn't say you, while you're off by yourself, make sure that you don't fall prey to this. He says, let us. Let us fear together. This type of be alert and ready. Let us be so in each other's lives. We care enough for each other. We love each other well enough to speak truth in love when our brothers and or sisters are in us in a spot where they need to hear it i think it's really helpful in the midst of as long as it is called today we are to exhort we are together have this kind of righteous right fear that none of us would be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin The Christian life is, again, a pilgrimage, a journey towards the promised goal, and it is a goal that we are striving to reach 
together. We have to really, this is going to take some work on our parts. We live in a culture that is so individualistic. We all want to just, if you live more in like the suburbs, you want to just drive into your garage so that that door can shut and you don't actually have to have encounters with your neighbors. I live out in the boonies, so it's not quite the same application. But it's that mindset of like, I'm going to be part of my business and I'm not concerned about you. Please don't be concerned about me. We're going to all just kind of do this on our own. We need to hear this let us and just let that simmer This is from God's word. None of this is in isolation by yourself. We want to strive towards God's rest that is promised together. I pray that that is a reality in your heart, that you you care enough about others in this congregation, in your family, that you you would have this type of alert god given fear that, that sin and Satan and the world are all crashing in on us. Verse 2, For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. The author is saying, Those who we read about, this quoting from Psalm 95, going all the way back to the Israelites wandering in the wilderness, we've all been evangelized. We've all heard the good news. For good news came to us just as to them. If you were to ask, how, if you were to be asked, how are people or how were people saved in the Old Testament before Christ came on the scene, what would be your answer? You don't have to say it out loud, but I want you to think about this. If, if someone were to ask you, I, I really am confused as I'm reading the Bible, it looks like something's going on in the Old Testament and something different in the New. How were people saved in the Old Testament? I think a lot of people get tripped up by this. The promise of the Old Testament And the good news of the New Testament have for their essential content the same thing. The former former Old Testament looked ahead to the promised Messiah to come. The promises that were made to Abraham. And then the progressive revelation, that promise was all pointing to the Messiah to come. The latter, those who live on this side of the resurrection, look back look back at the accomplishment in Christ and what was promised through his death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and reigning at the right hand of the Father. We hear this same reality, that it's it's the same good news offered to both the saints of old and new. The Apostle Paul in Galatians 3.8 says this, and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. The covenant promise made to Abraham was the preaching of the gospel beforehand. So if you're asked that question, here is the answer. Salvation 
has always and only been by faith alone in the Messiah. It has always been by faith. The righteous have always lived by faith. So the Old Testament saints were were believing and hoping and had their faith in the promise of the coming Messiah. Those who hear the gospel proclaim today, if you believe what you are actually experiencing in salvation is you're experiencing a belief in a person, the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's by faith that you could stand justified before God Almighty. All of that is only by faith. These verses remind us that the message of salvation was no different. There is still confusion, I'm, I, I'm afraid, by many who see commands in the Old Testament and think that there's like a works-based belief kind of salvation happening with Old Covenant saints. But it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, always through the Messiah. So it wasn't the message that was different, but in the case of the Israelites, so he's telling us in verse 2, the good news came to, to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So it wasn't the message that was different, but in the case of the Israelites in the wilderness, the message didn't benefit them, as we're told in verse 2, what I just read. And I want you to see how their, their unbelief, their lack of benefiting from the good news was tied to faith, their lack of faith, with those who listened. So to kind of take us back there just for a moment, United by faith with those who listen. That's a, that's a weird statement, but it is rooted in what the author's been referring back to again and again, which is the people of Israel in the wilderness wandering. So two examples of those who listened, who listened and believed and were saved by faith in those stories were two men, Caleb and Joshua. We're told, as Moses, which I referenced earlier, sent out the spies, they were among the spies who were to go into the land of Canaan and bring back a report. When Caleb first speaks in Numbers 13, going into chapter 14, Caleb responds with, yes, the fruit that you see from the promised land is amazing, and God has promised this to us. He says, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are, we, we are well able to overcome it. Again, what was referenced in adult Sunday school, not we in our own strength, but because God has promised it, God will make this happen. He believed. And then we see Joshua also respond. 
in the midst of Caleb and Joshua talking in Numbers 13 and 14, the people of Israel respond in a horrible way. They believe the other spies. They, they, they see that there are giants there. There is no way that they could possibly overcome what is there. And so they actually want to raise up a new leader and they long to go back to Egypt. So this is going into chapter 14. I want you to, want you to hear this. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the, all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And verse six, and Joshua, the son of Nun and Caleb, who were among those who, who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we pass through to spy it out is exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and will give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. What was their response? They picked up stones to stone them. That was how they responded to both Joshua and Caleb believing in God, living by faith. And here's a theme that runs throughout Scripture. We live by faith, not by sight. There is a promised rest, God's rest, that is made available today for those who would believe. When we look around us, that is hard to fathom. When your outer man is wasting away, when you are dealing with health issues, when your children may be rebelling, when you're losing a job, when all things are falling apart, according to sight, that is almost impossible to believe to be true. Both Caleb and Joshua are living by faith and not by sight. They witnessed the adversity in the promised land. They knew how, how big those people were, how hard it would be, but they also remembered who it is they serve. They trusted God. They lived by faith and not by sight, and they were calling the people of Israel to follow and believe and trust United by faith, in verse 2, that, that starts to make more sense. They all heard the good news, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Unbelief cuts off. Faith give, it gives entrance in. Unbelief cuts off. Faith gives entrance in. I want us to hear this. Being seated, placed in the Bible belt, makes the warnings of the wilderness generation's experience extremely relevant to all of us. Merely being part of a community 
a part of a community that is favored by God, experiencing God's gifts, his blessings, does not secure your entering into God's rest. We see in the Israelites, there is rebellion, sin, disobedience, unbelief, all describing a hardened heart towards God, and it excludes them from entering in. I think the stakes are raised higher for those who live on this side of the resurrection. We are more culpable. They had a promise of the Messiah to come, whereas we have the fulfillment in Jesus Christ. We we read and know that 2,000 years ago, he lived a life that was perfect, perfectly obeying the Father. He died a death that we all deserve to die. He did not stay on the cross. He was buried, and on the third day, God raised him from the dead. And then he ascended to the right hand of the Father. We see all of God's redemptive plan unfolded before us in his word. We have all of that. We know that right now he is ruling and reigning at the right hand. He is interceding for his own. We have all of this. And the author is saying, today, if you hear the voice of the Lord, do not harden your hearts. Believe, trust, walk by faith. To us who have heard the gospel, please hear this. For all of us who have heard the gospel, the one whom it proclaims says these words in John chapter 12. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Who are you living for? When we think about this united by faith, I I want to spend a little bit more time here because most of us who are gathered here hold doctrine very high. Yes and amen. We want to learn and be good stewards of God's word. We want to study hard and and dig deep and, and read much. All of that is good and well. But when we talk about united by faith, We are talking about trusting in a person, not a subject matter or a topic, but the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Spurgeon wrote wrote it kind of like this, finding, finding rest in a person. How happy are we to find rest in a person? This is warm and substantial comfort. You cannot rest in the words of a doctrine as you can in the bosom of a person. Take a poor child that is lost in the street. You can go up to that child and and speak about all these cheery themes. Those will not comfort the child. That child will probably continue to go on crying if they were without their parents. You can sing to the child. You can reason with the child. It is all in vain. But run and fetch that child's mother to come or his father and see how that child smiles, nestles into her bosom, and finds rest. A person gives 
us who are people created in the image of God, true rest. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that is why the resurrection is so important in the Christian life. Well, there are a lot of reasons, but one is to understand that you're not just believing in a story, that all these events transpired and that's where my hope is. It actually is one who was raised from the dead, who conquered sin, defeated death, and is now alive, who rescues us from our sins, redeems us, holds us. It is who we trust and run to right now. He is alive. As we live by faith and not by sight, brothers and sisters, please this day remember, we can so easily be led astray by what is happening to us, what we are experiencing being what defines our outlook on life. We lose sight because we're not living by faith and who is reigning right now? Who is ministering to us? Who is interceding? The great high priest that we will get to eventually in chapter four is the Lord Jesus Christ. That radically changes everything that we endure in this life. Finding rest in a person. I thought I was going to go much further this morning. But these two, the first two verses of Hebrews chapter 4 are a good place to end. This morning, you have had the opportunity, and you will again when the Lord's Supper is happening, to hear the good news proclaimed. That though you deserve death and eternal damnation because of your sin, God, out of his great love, has sent his Son the eternal son of God to become flesh and die as our substitute, to atone for our sins, to bear the wrath of God that we all deserve for eternity. He did all of that to redeem a people for himself. This is what the response is today. Repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of eternal life. May this be the day of salvation. Let us pray. Our Father, we are in need of encouragement, of the ministry of the Holy Spirit upon us, even this day as we, as we pilgrimage through this life. As we seek to live lives that bring honor and glory to the one who has redeemed us. Father, so quickly and easily we can be led astray. We can be so consumed with sorrow, with adversity, with depression, whatever it is, circumstances, all of that pressing in on us and coming from within, we need these constant reminders of the captain of our salvation who leads us through these storms and has made a way 
for us to experience and enter into God's rest. Father, help us to be a people who live by faith and not by sight. And help us to remember that this is, this is a call for us to do this together. As long as it is today, Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and to respond in a way that would please you to repent of our sins, to turn away from the things that displease you and run once again to the throne of grace. Father, we thank you that that is made possible through your son. And we pray all of this in his glorious name. Amen.